We're back to week four of the series that we're doing, uh, How to Be a Loser. The major scriptural kind of impetus, uh, the engine, if you would, for why it's so crucial for Christians, for the church to, to make time to make room, it's, so, it's such a, a primary role that the church plays on the earth to speak and step into these situations, is this word that we call the Imago Dei. What this means is the image of God. And as Christians, in the Scriptures, we understand that that humans have an image engraved upon them. That there's something different from you from the chair that you're sitting in. There's something different about you than the sky or you know the animals there's something different about us it's the idea that even though we know that everything comes from god and that god is in everything there's something different about a person about a face and it is this it is that even though all things come from god not all things carry the image of god not all things carry the character or the likeness of god And the one thing that we understand is that all humans, all faces, all people, all names, unlike trees, birds, the sky, the wind, we carry the very Spirit of God inside of us. Whether we're Christians or not, atheists or not, we carry the very Spirit of God in us. And so what that means is is to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ, means that we put more value on a human no matter their actions or what they've done, their intentions for us, we see the Spirit of God in them. And because of that, we treat them as such. And so with this understanding, it kind of unfolds into this week. What we're talking about this week is very kind of simple here. What we're talking about this week is what it means to be a ladder. Have you guys ever heard the term climbing the ladder? Okay. You know, it's a phrase to explain what we want to do in this life. We want to start out here and find a way to work, to try, to, to focus, to, to make our way to the top. And so we're going to climb the ladder. We're going to, you know, ascend the mountain. We're going to find a way to go from where we are in our finances, in our status, in our job, in our success. And we're going to find a way to climb ourselves to the top, right? Now, what are Americans famous for? We are famous for this phrase that's called the American what? Dream. And this dream is something that, kind of an image, if you would, that's behind the spirit of this country. When you hear historians or politicians talk about this country, they say, you know, it's the the American spirit that makes this nation great. And the American spirit is one of effort of trying, of, 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 of working your way, of, how would you put it, getting there, if that makes any sense. We pride ourselves in these phrases like, you know, it's important for you to pick yourself up by your own bootstraps, right? Well, you're a, a self-made man, right? Does anyone? Okay, we've all said it, okay. And with our kids, we want to teach them. It's, it's, it's important, son, that you learn how to work hard. You know, earn everything that you get. Right? And so in this society, we, we exalt those people who've 
scrap their way to the top. And for people at the bottom who haven't earned a thing, either if they're on food stamps or, you know, you know, anything, if they haven't worked or earned it, we look down upon them. Because the spirit of this nation is one of self, of me. We are such a tremendous, amazing nation for one primary thing. We understand independence. Not necessarily as a people, but independence as a person. We have invented in culture, we have taken the idea of offense, and we have, we have taken it to a whole new level. We have taken the idea of saying, this is mine, and I'm going to put a fence around it, and I'll make sure you know that I paid for this, I worked for this, I earned this, this is my truck, my vehicle, my house, my business, this is mine, and because it's mine and not yours, I'm going to protect it from you. The Native Americans didn't understand this concept. Whatever we began to explain them, we'll, we'll see the land is ours. It doesn't belong to a God. And see, what matters is, is that we're going to take you from the place that you've always lived, and we're going to give you a new section of land because we need to take land and divide it between each of us. So I get my section, you get your section, and if you work harder than this person, you get a bigger section. And if you work harder, you get an even bigger section. And the game is who gets the biggest piece of the pie? Sound familiar? No? Now, this, don't get me wrong, this is exactly what makes this nation great. And when I say great, I mean powerful. I mean rich. That's what I mean. Bishop Duku, uh, I, he was speaking to me, and he was saying that the culture with his people is very different. It's very hard for him to motivate them to work. And so like, when they look in America, they see these, these people who are driven, and they're focused, and, and they're, you know, just, they're passionate. Their lives are all about working their way up. They're inspired by Americans. And so you have people from the entire globe who flock into this country with this idea that if I get to America, it's not like anywhere else. If I get to America, if, if I just work hard, if I just work harder than the person next to me, I can go up the ladder. And people flock to this country because if they're in Iraq, you know, it doesn't matter necessarily how hard they work. There are circumstances against them, and it doesn't matter. But if they could get to America, that country runs on one principle. If you're willing to scrap your way, if you're willing to give up anything else, you will make it in America. This is the culture that we live in. Now, in this culture, it's important for you guys to understand this. This culture sees getting ahead as winning. Now, at the end there, in, in uh, Philippians 2, we see what the kingdom sees. In this world, to get ahead is to win. In the kingdom of heaven, to help others get ahead is winning. So what happens is this. If I'm operating in this world and I begin to use my energy and my time and my giftings and my talents to help someone else climb the ladder. They will be seen as a what? A winner. And I will be seen as a loser. 
Because we pay teachers tons of money. <laughs> Social workers. You guys get all the credit and glory, don't you? Nurses. Of course not, right? Mechanics. Plumbers. Electricians make too much when I talk about them. <laughs> we have a culture that worships these individuals who have stopped at nothing to get ahead. Doesn't matter what sport you're in, there's a figure who is famous in that circle. And these figures are famous not because of, of, of how talented they are or, uh, you know, uh, if you would, the gifts, you know, which they have. These people are famous because of how hard they worked. LeBron James. Yeah, huge fans. Everyone's a huge fan of LeBron James, right? Right? Why do we not like LeBron James? Because he just woke up and he was six foot nine and he's, a fat, he's fast, he's athletic. He had it all handed to him, right? He didn't have to work for it. Right? But those 80s teams, those Celtics, those guys are great, right? Bunch of white dudes <laughs> working their butt off. We all love the Celtics, but we hated Showtime, you know? Okay. Sports analogies, I'm sorry. Michael Jordan, he's worshipped in sports. And there were so many people who played at the same time who were just as gifted as he was. We talk about this famous story, right? Because he was cut from his high school team, right? But if you just get in there and work like Michael Jordan did, well, uncomfortable, isn't it? Now, we're not saying these things are, we're not saying that work ethic is a bad thing all by itself. Here's what's wrong. When we begin to idolize and to worship something that is supposed to be a good thing, and we make it the thing. Oh, we live in a culture in which work ethic has replaced ethics. It's more important how you pursue your dream than how you treat the people around you along the way. Do you hear what I said? We are a culture who worships climbing, making your own way getting there on your own. But yet we're people who claim to be a part of a separate group of people who worship the fact that we have a God who, who does it for us. We have a religion, Christianity, in which we say, if not by grace, we can't be saved. If not by this thing that we can't control or earn or do, there's no way for us to get up the ladder, if you would. And we follow this, this leader whose entire life seems to be to go from where he could be and to go all the way to the bottom. Whose ultimate model of leadership to follow me looks like this. To jump on the throne and to cast down everyone underneath you and have all the power and the money and prosperity. Right? It's the songs we sing. 
Glory and honor to the Lamb which crushed everything under His foot. Who clawed His way to the top. No. We have a leader whose ultimate example is death. We have heroes of our faith who are all failures. Every single one of them. If you look at their own merits, these guys were losers. And so, in this culture, we strive to be that person at the top. The one who makes their own way, who claws the way, who climbs the ladder. But in the kingdom of heaven, we understand it differently. In the kingdom of heaven, those who will be the greatest among you shall be the servants of all. To be great in the kingdom means that your entire life is spent down here, helping others climb the ladder. To be first in this world, in the kingdom of heaven, means that you will be last in this world. Again, we're not saying prosperity is a bad thing. What we're saying is prosperity is not success. Success is following Jesus into living your entire life for others. And what happens is when you do that, it puts you in this terrible situation. When you live for other people, you don't have time to live for who? When you're, when you're so consumed with getting everyone else up and elevated and encouraged and healed and built up, you don't have time to get yourself up the ladder. And so you have to do something. Trust. You have to have faith that if you're doing this for others, that someone else is going to do it for you. And who's that someone? Everyone's, I don't know. Jesus, right? If you guys don't know the answer, just say Jesus. The odds are, even if you're wrong, I can't say it. And I'm like, ah, yes, in some way, shape, or form, Jesus is always the answer. And so again, what, what comes down to it is this. In this culture, it is me first. Simple. I will not lie to you. If you live me first and you pour all your energy and strength into it, you will probably be very successful in this life. I won't lie to you about that. If you're looking for a prosperity gospel, here is the news to be successful. Do whatever it takes to take care of you and yours and do it with all your energy, with all your time, and with all your strength. And I promise you, you will make it. Because you will climb the backs of other people and you will be on top. Now, if you are concerned about eternity and following Jesus, let me say something different. Do the opposite. Does that sound scary? It should. It should sound scary. That's the entire point. The, the problem for most of us is this. We live a type of life that really doesn't need to trust God at all for anything. Most of us live in a certain way to where we have our needs met and we're just fine. And so the only thing that we really need God for is maybe what happens after this life. And so the only time that you even invest anything into God anyway is when all of a sudden you start realizing, oh wait, there might be something beyond this. When someone gets sick, 
when you get divorced, when you lose a loved one, and all of a sudden you go, there's bigger things. Oh no, I might need God. So I'm going to change things for a while and, and see. But most weeks and most days, we don't need Him because we're living for ourselves. And so we talk about living by faith and you know, uh, you know, having to trust God in all things. You know, I want you to tithe. Hear me. Tithe. <laughs> we need it. Yes, it's a big building, but I promise not what you think. Tithe, but hear this. Don't expect your tithe to cover up how you got to the money. The Old Testament is full of this theme. It's not about the offering. It's about how you got there. The intent. How you see God. How are you trying to please God? Are you trying to placate Him? Are you trying to play the game? Are you trying to live your own life and give Him just enough to keep Him away? Keep Him happy? Your tithe, what matters most about your tithe is the life that that tithe is coming from. Much more than the actual amount on the check. I'm glad you guys came today. <laughs> Goodness gracious, okay. Okay, here's a question this morning, okay? We're comparing what it means to climb the ladder in this culture as opposed to being a ladder in the kingdom of God. In this world, the goal is do whatever you got to do to get up. Bigger, better, more. If, if you got to work overtime, do it. Get that pay raise. If you got to do some crunches, do it. Find the more attractive spouse. Come on. <laughs> when you see your spouse getting very attractive, they're working out, they're getting their, their hair did, ask questions. Is everything okay with us? Are we good? <laughs> I'm just saying, we do lots of marriage counseling. I'm just saying, the most amazing people look is right before and right after. They, they go looking for something else. Play games if you want, but <laughs> some of you guys are going, oh, Lord. Here's the question. Can I live you first? Meaning, can I live in such a way that I put you first? Can I live this life as a ladder? Am I willing to live this life in such a way that with every person I meet, I'm trying to help them get where they need to go? Bishop Duke was with me uh, in the car, and what did he say to me? He said, what is your passion? And I said, okay, well, let's talk about that. He said, what do you want to accomplish with your life? And so, you know, we, we talked about it. And he said this to me. He said, I want to use my life and everything that I have to help you there. Oh, what in the world is that about? <laughs> we, uh, for the past three years, we haven't had too many guest ministers here. 
we used to have a pretty long list of people who'd bring in, and I just, I said, you know, they're good people, but I, no. Even in the ministry world, right? I mean, to be a pastor should be a joke. Oh, you want to be a pastor? Cute. See how long that lasts, right? It should be a situation where it's, it's obvious, right? To be a minister should be clear that your entire life is to help people up. But if I were being honest with you, I'd say I don't have many minister friends because that's not the case. And if I were being even more honest, there's not many ministers who have other friends who are ministers because we are a cutthroat bunch. You think I'm kidding? I've seen more me and self-promotion and people who will sweet-talk you and find a way to get what they need from you. Even in the ministry circles. It is the hardest thing for a pastor to do anything working with other churches. So if, if, you have a, if you've had a pastor or a church in the past who's done things with other churches, they either have bad intentions or they're amazing and they're doing phenomenal things. Because it's the hardest thing, even in this circle. Because it fills all of us. It's not just a culture thing. It's an internal thing. We are born with this this innate understanding that I have to take care of me. Some people smile when they do it. Some people tell you outright, but everyone's trying to get what they need. <laughs> if you need to be uh, you know, reminded of this, you need to go buy a car. <laughs> they look like they're nice to you. They sound like they care about you. I just want to help you out, man. I just care about you. I just... Oh, you girls so cute, man. You guys are so great. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Whoa. Who are you out for in that deal? You know what? Tax 6000 on that price. I want to bless you today, brother. <laughs> right? Anyways. It was terrible, by the way. <laughs> Having to haggle with someone about a minivan. Just give it to me, you know, just give me a hug on the way out, you know, because I'll be crying. I mean, who wants to haggle over a minivan? <laughs> Goodness gracious. Kind of a heartless salesman is that, right? Goodness gracious. All right. <laughs> so what happens for us when we begin to embrace the lifestyle of Christ and we begin to live in such a way where I am more concerned about you than myself. When I begin to see every person in a way where I'm saying, how can I help this person up? What can I do for you? And not the other way around. It puts you in a very difficult spot. Not many promotions come about because you're constantly helping other people elevate. Most promotions at your job will come about when you're the one who pops to the top. When you're the name who's always you know, on top of the project, or you're the one who came through in the clutch, that's how you climb the ladder. In a marriage, it's a risk. 
to come in and to just be focused on the needs of your spouse because you're trusting that your spouse is going to do the same for you. Who here has the best spouse in the world who's always out for your best good? Put your hand down, Miss Nikki. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> Mr. Roy and Miss Nikki are all in love, and it's, you know. No, honestly, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. But, I mean, come on. I mean, let's all be honest. There are times where we're like, okay, I just want to take care of you. And there are times whenever your spouse is just, oh, you know what, I just want to take care of you. And you go, thank you. <laughs> right? <laughs> Let me get you a new car first, honey. You know, right? Okay. <laughs> it's a risk. And so it puts us in danger. To live for other people puts you in danger, especially, especially when you are honest with yourself. You must know that when you begin to live for, for them, that not everyone is going to do the same for you. Newsflash, I'm sure that, you know, you, you guys are all shocked. This even applies in the church, right? You can genuinely be trying to love somebody. They might not reciprocate. They might even be a jerk. Or worse, but we can't say those words until you guys go out to lunch, right? That person just... Here we are. Uh, we are to live with such concern for others. Generosity and servanthood that without faith in God's provision, we would be in trouble. That is what it means to live by faith. I'm sure that you've been taught what it means to live by faith many times. And I'm sure that they were great people. And I'm sure that I've even taught you different. If I did, scratch it out and put this. <laughs> to live in such a way that if God does not come through for you, you're in trouble. And what that means is you're living in such a way to take care of the needs of those around you. And it puts you in a place where you need God to take care of you. If you guys have your Bibles, Matthew 6. Verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap, reap or stow away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the, father, the, the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire. Will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after such things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom. Pause right there. Seek first his kingdom. I mean, live kingdom-minded, following Christ and his model for you. Which, as we see, the ultimate model of, of following Christ is the cross and death. Living in such a way you are living for others. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. And so that's kind of where we sit this morning. The truth is hard to accept. There are moments in our lives where most of us really need God. But if we're being honest, if we continue to live our life the way we did and never thought about God again, not much would be different. Because we're living in such a way to take care of us and ours. When you begin to step outside of that, when you begin to live for other people, you will find out that your life will get much more difficult. There will be much more challenges. It will be very trying. And you will find out how much you truly need God. And of course, you also find out what it means to live a life with purpose, fulfillment, and meaning. You'll find out what it's like to actually need God to be in trouble and see Him come through for you. And then your life will actually be a life that people can look into and see Jesus. You don't have to be a minister. I, pff, I encourage you not to be. It's, it's not that great. I encourage you to stay exactly where you are unless you feel led to, to move somewhere different. But stay exactly where you are in your circles, at work, with your family, with your friends, with your neighbors, with the people who, you know, who you bump into, with your families here at church, and begin to just see them differently. It's amazing how things change when we just take our, our, our gaze off of us. I was in, uh, what's this? I was at the gym the other day, and there's something going on that just kind of bothered me. And so, it's very kind of self-conscious, if you would. You know, I'm not sure if you guys have experienced this. You're speaking to someone, and you're just so aware of how you look and how you sound. Does that make sense to anybody? You're just like, you know, distracted. <laughs> And it was amazing how long we were talking and I really wasn't aware of anything he was saying. Right? Because I'm just so worried about did I sound stupid? You know, blah, blah, blah. You know, does that make, I don't know, that makes sense to anybody. It's amazing what happens when you begin to shift your focus. Who cares about me? And you begin to focus on the other person. It's amazing how, how the world you see changes how the things that matter to you change. It's also amazing to see how much God is present when you begin to shift your focus from yourself.